Good morning. Welcome to Midtown Community Church. My name is T.C. Chambers. Man, I'm just so glad to be able to worship with you this morning. I'd like to invite you to go by our website, midtownknox.org, and we've got a place there where you can connect with us, and uh, you can also learn about life groups. And Midtown is a church made up of life groups, and life groups um, are just small groups of, of friends hanging out in various parts of our community, and we are growing together by loving God and, and loving the world. That means we're going to come in and we're going to read the Word together, and then we're going to engage uh, just with our neighborhood together. I'd love to invite you to be a part of that. Also, if you're comfortable, uh, we're meeting back in person at 4 p.m. at North Star, and we'd love to invite you to come and be a part of that. We meet there weekly. Man, today I'm so excited uh, to have Christy Watson sharing with us today. You know, I, I love to see how God continues to um, just to, to raise up leaders within our church. And, and last week we talked about encouragement and how important it is to encourage the church with truth. That's also a, a spiritual gift. And another spiritual gift is the gift of teaching. I mean, that's something that, uh, that we, we affirm in Christy. And as Christy shared with us, with, with our team, um, a word, man, we, we said, this is so fitting for this season. We'd love for you to share this with our church. So today, man, Christy is going to share with you something. And I really believe this truth is going to encourage you and help you really understand what it looks like to live out your faith in this season. Hey family, my name is Christy and I am so excited to share with you today what God has been revealing to me through his word. Once upon a typical day in Jericho, there was a blind man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus believed that God could rescue him from his darkness and so he received his sight. But thousands of years before that, there was a woman named Rahab and she lived in Jericho too. She also believed that God could rescue her from her darkness. And we see that she is actually listed in the genealogy of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, we actually see five women listed in the bloodline of Jesus. And Rahab is one of those women. Her story is found in Joshua and in Hebrews, but we're going to go to Joshua chapter 2 first. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. See, years prior to this, the Israelites had been promised this land flowing with milk and honey, and they were poised to go and get it. So Joshua knew this, but he was strategic about it. So he sent spies, especially to Jericho, because Jericho was heavily fortified. And when the spies got to Jericho, they went someplace interesting. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. 
So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house, your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. They told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of this. So Rahab's actions here landed her in the faith hall of fame that we see in Hebrews 11. Rahab believed in something impossible. And because of that, she and her whole family were rescued and she ends up in the family line of Jesus. So what does that mean? What does that look like to have faith like Rahab did? Well, first of all, we got to know what faith is. So Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things unseen. So what was it that Rahab believed that she could not see? We have to think first, though, everyone has faith in something. So maybe you're here today saying, I really, I don't have faith, or I have faith, but I don't know what it's in. Everybody has faith in something. Remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. So some examples of what you may have faith in. I believe a spouse will make me happy. I'm believing in something I cannot see, I do not have. I'm convicted that that will be my peace. 
Another example might be, I believe that a new career or a new job or this particular situation changing in my job will make me happy. So again, I'm, I'm assured that this thing that will happen at work will bring me peace of mind, will make me happy. Another example might be, I am what I am and that is enough. So that's faith in myself. I will figure it out. I have faith that I, my mental capacity, my skills, I will figure it out. I will be enough for this situation. I'm believing, I'm persuaded, I'm convicted in something I don't see yet. The citizens of Jericho put their faith in their economy. Jericho, historians say, was an incredibly wealthy place. Why did Joshua otherwise send spies there? He didn't just go charging in. He was strategic because he knew Jericho is tough. Jericho is a successful place, right? So he sent these spies in. Jericho put their faith in their economy. They put their faith in this wall. Remember, Rahab lived inside the wall. This was not just a wall that you see going down the side of a street. This was a wall large enough for many people to live in, a double-sided wall with room for houses and businesses. Jericho put their faith in this wall. They put their faith in their economy. They put their faith in their ability to guard and protect themselves until they began to see all of that challenged by a relatively small band of people who had accomplished crazy things. Rahab says, our entire city is on lockdown because of your people, your God. The king was terrified of these Israelites, which doesn't make any sense unless there was something supernatural going on because they were relatively a small group of people, but the whole entire vicinity of Jericho was on lockdown because of them. And Rahab watched it and said, I know that your God has something that nothing around me has. I want in. So Rahab knew that what she had previously put her faith in, her business, her city, it was falling apart. And maybe that's you today. Honestly, you'd have to be pretty foolish to look around and say, yeah, I feel pretty secure in my job right now. Yeah, I feel pretty secure in myself. Guys, at any moment, any of us could get this virus and go. You'd have to be pretty foolish to look around and be like, yep, I'm good, I'm enough. And Rahab, just like many of us are doing right now, is looking around going, there has to be something different. There has to be something different. See, faith is actually a more realistic understanding of reality. It's not wishful thinking. It's actually looking around and going, none of the stuff around me has any hope of lasting. Even the good things, even the good things in our lives are going away, are so fragile. Our own bodies are so fragile that one virus we can't even see with our eyes can take us out. That one virus we can't even see with our eyes can tank our economy can leave us in such a state that we don't know our right from our left. Everything, even good things, are fragile. Faith is just a deeper understanding of what's actually going on and a willingness to go, you know what? If none of this is steady, it has to be something beyond this world that is steady. It has to be. And that's what Rahab was beginning to grasp when she made this choice to welcome these spies. The wall of Jericho, it seemed very sturdy. We don't normally put our faith in things that don't 
uh, that appear um, fragile, right? We put our, our faith in things that seem really fragile, but the problem is it's not. And Rahab saw that. So our faith, it's not going to be fully realized and rewarded until we get to eternity. The end of Hebrews 11 talks about people who were beheaded, who were executed, who were sawn in two, and they were people in the hall of fame of faith too. But their reward was coming. Our reward is coming. We're not putting faith in God so that we get that promotion or so that we get that spouse. We're putting our faith in God because he is it. He is it and he is eternal. And once our faith is there and it is steady and it is secure, then we're taking faith actions. We're becoming godly risk takers. And that is what the people listed in Hebrews 11, Rahab and all of the people there knew and did. They had their faith in an unshakable kingdom, and so they were taking steps of faith, godly risks. What Rahab did was incredibly risky. Godly risks are focused on others. Rahab's risk to help the spies very well could have gotten her killed. The king sent those, sent his men back and said, hey, bring them out. I know you've got them. Her choice to say, uh, no, I don't, actually could have gotten her killed. If they had gone up to her roof and seen these guys there, no way that king would have left her life intact. Jericho was a place known for human sacrifice to their pagan gods. They had no problem getting rid of somebody that wasn't helping their cause. So godly risks are other-centered. Her risk was actually other-centered. It was taken in faith, and so it was other-centered. You have a risk God is asking you to take today that is a self-sacrificial risk. That's a godly risk. That's one that comes when we know, hey, my kingdom's not going to be shaken because it's the kingdom of God. It's outside of the walls of this universe. So therefore, I can sacrifice myself to make that risk. So godly risk-takers don't make safety their first priority. Listen, I'm a mom, and this has been incredibly tough. I think in particular this whole pandemic has been tough for moms because we, we are wired to want our kids to be protected, and we, don't, we feel like we don't know. So, so some doctors say this, some doctors say that, so we're like, what do we do? Do we keep our kids home? Do we all lock our... It is a scary time a very scary time. And then we see mental health of our kids being affected by this pandemic and we don't know what to do and we end up going to this place of personal lockdown, right? I'm, not, I'm, I'm gonna do only what feels safe and comfortable to me because I want to keep me and mine safe. But that's because we're functioning with faith in a kingdom that can be shaken. Remember, even good things can be shaken. We can lose our family. We can lose the best things in our life, things that are good, that are pure. Those can be taken away. Our faith has to be in an unshakable kingdom so that then we can go, you know what? It is scary to go be in community right now. It is. But that is a godly risk that I am willing to take because I know that you know what? My child needs more than a body that's healthy and whole, a soul that's healthy and whole. You know what? I need more than a body that's healthy and whole, a soul that's healthy and whole. So we move out of our place of fear because our faith is where Rahab's was in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we take godly risks that are other-centered and godly risks that don't make safety our first 
priority. I'm gonna tell you a story and it is the reason why I still stay the course of following Jesus. And when I was 10, some parents are like, hey, if you don't obey, we're gonna send you to a third world country. Well, um, my parents did that like, and it was a gift to us. Like, hey, when you turn 10, we're actually going to take you with us to another country where they don't have as much as you do. And we're gonna allow you to see what it's like to actually serve Jesus in a different place. So at that time, the walls of communism in Belarus had recently crumbled. And my parents took me with them to go and share the gospel in a place where it had been illegal just very in the very near past. And we went into the Red Square with a box of Bibles in their language, very naive. And I remember my dad standing on a box and yelling, hey, Biblia, Biblia, free Biblia. Now, free is not the Russian word for free, obviously, but Biblia is the Russian word for Bible. And I remember him saying this, and all of a sudden, it was like, boom, like a mass of human bodies going at this box of Bibles. And I just remember being hoisted onto somebody's shoulders, somebody on our team, and I'm looking down at these bodies, just grabbing for Bibles like it was cash, like it was food, but it wasn't. It was the word of God. And only two women were left and no Bibles were left. And I'm begging my dad to give, we have Bibles, give, give them our Bibles here. We have Bibles, but they weren't in their language. What I didn't know is that my dad had kind of stuck one in his jacket and was kind of waiting to see. And this one little lady stayed on her knees, elderly woman, and she just was weeping on her knees. And we went to her and through a translator, we figured out the last time she had seen a Bible was when Stalin's men came into her home and took her husband and her Bible. She never saw them again. And we were able to give her that Bible in her language. And I remember in that moment thinking, To them, this was food. This was way better than cash. They had such a better understanding of this unshakable kingdom than I had ever had before and maybe never will, but it doesn't mean it's not the truth. Safety cannot be our first priority because safety is fragile. Safety is fragile. The safest place we can be is in the center of God's will. And what was true for those beautiful people of Belarus is actually true for us. It's just that we don't accept it as such. And because of that, we live these lives that are me-centered and safety-centered, and we're miserable. We're miserable. But there's hope. There was hope for the prostitute Rahab, and the same hope is hope for us today. The hope in God, in this unshakable kingdom. And when our faith is there, we're making other centered choices and safety is not our first priority. Godly risk takers don't expect instant success. I love this part of the story because it really speaks to me. I am not in my flesh a patient person at all. But Rahab had to be so patient. So after chapter two, we would think, okay, Right, she just took a big risk, so the next day, right, they're going to come back and they're going to rescue her, but nope. We've got chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and then finally, chapter 6. There was at least 21 days that she waited, going, are they going to figure it out? Are they going to find out my secret? Am I going to survive this? And then... Well, it didn't get immediately better even when they showed up because here's chapter six. Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. So think about this. You're Rahab. You've been waiting at least three weeks, probably more. And suddenly these people are marching around your city, circling. But what, what is happening here? How would she have perceived this? How would it have made her feel one iota better that they're just marching right around the city and nobody's showing up to take her out of it? Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So then they continue to march and these trumpets begin to blow. So imagine you're a Rahab and you're going, they're going to find out, they're going to find out. And then people are marching around your city and suddenly you're hearing these trumpet blasts and then your city is falling apart around you. They didn't rescue her before it fell apart. It fell apart before they rescued her. And I think somebody needs to hear today that God is going to rescue you even if it's already fallen apart. In fact, you are poised for the rescue when you know it's gone. The walls are gone. I have nothing left to depend on. That's when they rescued her. So at the end of chapter 6, Joshua tells the people, but Rahab, this is verse 25, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So the walls had fallen and there she is alive because of the faith risk, the godly risk that she took. And she ends up in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 31, by faith. Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. That phrase, friendly welcome, the root of that phrase means she had opened the doors in peace. Open the doors in peace to the surrender of everything that you used to put your security in. And see, Rahab, she didn't get to go right into the camp with the Israelites, though. That's the last part of the story that is so beautiful. She was willing to leave behind everything she had known and live outside of the camp of Israel while she learned to be a person of God. Some of you are being asked in order to um, take hold of this faith to leave a lifestyle that is your identity, to leave a way of life that you believe you will fall apart without and you will fall apart without it. You will fall apart to beauty. You will fall apart to the destiny that God offers for all of us. You see, we all have the opportunity to be in Jesus' family line. Through what he did on the cross and his defeat of death by the resurrection, we can actually all become part of this chosen people, the people of God. It's not limited to Jesus' actual bloodline because his blood purchased it for all of us. Do you remember that the rope Rahab put down was scarlet? How cool is this tie-in? 
So prior to this, the uh, uh, Israelites are being held captive by Egypt. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, you got to let my people go. And God sends these plagues to show Pharaoh he means business about letting these people go. And one of these plagues is that God takes out the firstborn of the Egyptians. But he tells the Israelites, put the blood of an animal on your door and you will be passed over. Your firstborn will be spared. What color is that blood? Red. What color is that rope that was Rahab's rescue? Red. And then her great, 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 many greats, grandson later, Jesus. His blood is pouring out on the cross for you and for your rescue so that you can be a part of this family of faith. And then taking godly risks of faith. We are all part of the faith hall of fame. And listen, let's get really practical here. If you don't know what your first godly risk is, encourage the next stranger you encounter. We talked about encouragement last week. Encouragement, let's face it, it's always a little bit of a risk. We don't know exactly how it's going to be received, but it is an eternal risk because when you encourage someone, you're showing them just a little bit of that light of Jesus. Let me pray for us, family. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it knows no boundaries. God, I thank you uh, that those who hear this today have an open invitation to join your family and that those who are a part of your family have an invitation to now move forward in faith, taking godly risks in faith, God. I pray that as they do that, that they would experience the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing more people into your family and increasing their faith through their obedience. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.